Welcome to the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. It's long been known that living in a poor neighborhood is associated with negative chronic health outcomes, such as type 2 diabetes and chronic heart disease, but studying this issue in a randomized way has proven difficult. Dr. Justin White, assistant professor in the Philip R. Lee Institute for Health Policy Studies at the University of California, San Francisco, spoke with me about how they worked past those difficulties and what they found. Dr. White, could you start by telling me the background of the issue of neighborhood deprivation and chronic diseases? What evidence already exists in this area? There's an extensive literature linking different measures of neighborhood deprivation with the onset of chronic diseases. Studies have consistently shown that living in a low-income neighborhood is associated with an increased risk of a, a wide variety of chronic diseases, such as type 2 diabetes and coronary heart disease. And these studies have been conducted on populations in many different settings and in many different countries, including in Sweden, where our study takes place. One issue is that With few exceptions, these studies really only report statistical associations. They can't distinguish between whether the neighborhoods themselves are responsible for the changes in health or whether it's due to something else like other confounding factors or sorting of different types of people into different types of neighborhoods. So, for example, it's well documented that unhealthy people tend to move to lower-income neighborhoods, which could potentially lead a researcher to incorrectly conclude that neighborhoods are, are what matters. And so, The only randomized evidence on the causal effects of neighborhood deprivation on chronic diseases is the moving to opportunity experiment. So in moving to opportunity, participants from five cities in the U.S. were randomly assigned either to receive a housing voucher or not. And in the 15-year follow-up of that study, participants who received a voucher to relocate to a low poverty area had a 16% prevalence of type 2 diabetes compared to a 20% prevalence in the control group. And so while that study has not been without its detractors, it's currently probably among the best evidence that we have that neighborhood deprivation can lead to chronic disease. And so our study was motivated by the current lack of evidence on the causal relationship between neighborhood deprivation and chronic disease outcomes. Your study is described as quasi-experimental. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Our study takes advantage of a government policy that Sweden implemented in the 1980s and 90s. At that time, Sweden was experiencing a large influx of refugees, much like today. And most of those refugees were settling in the largest cities like Stockholm. So the government implemented a policy aimed at actively distributing refugees across the entire country. And that became known as the whole of Sweden strategy. And the thinking was that this dispersal policy could improve the integration of refugees into society and relieve some pressure on the job markets in Stockholm and other big cities. So the key to our study design is the process by which refugees were placed into housing. Upon arrival, they were sorted into refugee centers around the country, and then these municipal government officials placed the refugees into housing. Importantly, the placement officers never met face-to-face with the refugees. Rather, they had really limited information about each refugee, based only on a short intake form. And we argue in in our study that once we control for the refugee characteristics that were in that intake form and for the municipality where each refugee was assigned to live, that the type of neighborhood where the refugee ended up is basically as good as random. 
And so fortunately for us, all of these variables are available in Sweden's very rich national registry data. And we're able to conduct this study because Sweden has some of the best national data records in the world. And we can follow refugees in our sample for more than two decades, including where they were living, all of their healthcare encounters, and their medical diagnoses. And so we focus specifically on about 63,000 refugees who arrived in Sweden from 1987 to 1991. And during this period, the Swedish housing market was really tight. And so refugees really had very little choice over the neighborhoods where they were placed. And it's during that time period that we argued um, that where they ended up in a deprived neighborhood or not is as good as random. And what did your results show? So using the national register data, we were able to estimate that refugees who were placed in high deprivation neighborhoods versus low deprivation neighborhoods had a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes two decades later. And our best estimate is that this increased diabetes risk is about 15%. Another important finding from our study is that these effects accumulated over time. They didn't develop immediately. And that's really consistent with the hypothesized ways that neighborhoods are thought to affect health and chronic disease in particular such as exposure to chronic stress from living in a high crime or a segregated area, the income and employment opportunities that affect a person's ability to afford healthy food, um, and the availability of healthy food in the neighborhood and its walkability. So we also noted that there was evidence of a gradient in that those assigned to the most deprived neighborhoods had higher diabetes risk than those assigned to the least deprived areas. And those assigned to moderately deprived areas fell somewhere in the middle, although the, those results did not reach statistical significance. Now, refugees in our sample were free to relocate to other neighborhoods once they were initially placed. And our study really only looks at the effect of being initially assigned to a deprived neighborhood. So we think it's striking that we observed neighborhoods to have long-lasting effects on diabetes risk, even after many refugees had moved to other areas. And in that sense, our results of a 15% increase in diabetes risk may represent a lower estimate uh, or a lower bound on, on how important neighborhoods actually are for diabetes risk. Do you think these findings have any implication for public health policy, both for diabetes prevention in general and for migrant populations in particular? I do. We view this study as being highly relevant to the ongoing refugee crisis in Europe. More than a million migrants came to Europe last year. Sweden received a record number of requests for refugee status last year, more than 160,000 in a country of 10 million. And the Swedish Statistics Agency is projecting a new all-time high in 2016. And the refugees in our study came largely from the same geographic regions as today's wave of refugees, namely from the Middle East and North Africa. Lawmakers in Sweden and in other European countries are grappling with how best to deal with the migrants who are arriving at their borders in droves. And our study points to the fact that the decisions these governments make now will have long-lasting impacts on the lives of refugees. And in many European countries, public sentiment toward refugees has become strained at best and hostile at worst. And our study highlights how today's policies toward migrants can have these long-run impacts on their future health. Many in the current wave of immigration are going to remain in Europe for decades to come, and investing in their well-being today could potentially lessen the burden on 
government social support systems in the decades to come. And so the goal of our study is to measure the effects of neighborhoods rather than the effects of a dispersal policy. And while our study shows that dispersal of refugees to better off neighborhoods can reduce diabetes risk, we feel that we still need to examine other ramifications of this type of policy before recommending it on a large scale. For example, dispersal policies could cause greater stress or mental health problems for refugees as a result of a lack of choice about where to live or being assigned to a neighborhood where there are few immigrants like themselves. So for diabetes prevention, our studies suggest that it's not just about the food you eat or the medications you're prescribed. It's also about the broader